And thank you very much for tuning in to the final Super Rugby Aotearoa recap here on Code with Kingi, where unfortunately we were only able to get one game of football on the weekend between the Highlanders and Hurricanes. Obviously in the wake of COVID-19 being back in Aotearoa, Auckland has been put into Level 3, which meant that we were unable to see the Blues and Crusaders sign off the season in 2020 the way they would have wanted to. But I did get the old man back on the podcast to discuss what we saw from Saturday's game, and we even paid a little bit of a mention to the upcoming North and South Island game, which, depending on what happens with Auckland, could be moving its way to the capital. But yeah, a few talking points to cover, and like always, enjoy. Welcome back, Dad. I think I said that on the, on the preview podcast, but like you said, it is welcome back for the second time within the space of a week, where we're covering my last review of Super Rugby Aotearoa with it being the, the 10th round that just gone by and unfortunately like you predicted we were only treated to one game over the weekend and there were no fans there which was was obviously a lot different to what we'd been watching and I guess soaked up as a viewer or you know I, I didn't get along to any of the games this year but you could just see that there was something not quite right with not having fans there, so yeah, I don't know. But anyway, the Hollanders won the game, thirty-eight points to twenty-one, and like I always do, I'll throw the mic to you and get your first impressions on what you saw on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, uh, to me, it was a, it was a bit of a nothing game. So because the result of the competition was, you know, decided uh, last. What was it last Sunday? Last Sunday when the Highlanders played the Crusaders. Um, I think teams can sort of talk up as much as they want, you know, especially like the Crusaders, or, oh, you know, we've sort of got to prove such and such. And But it was a bit of a nothing game. Um, and as exciting as it was, I think if there had been maybe more on the result, I'm not sure it would have been as free-flowing as it was um, and I also think a huge loss for the Hurricanes was uh, Peronada not playing I, th- I think he probably would have steadied the Hurricane ship a bit more um, I think you know they sort of got a couple of almost like length of the field tries almost well they were off Highlanders mistakes and then they should have had a couple of, well, at least one other try. One was a forward pass, and the other one was, you know, foot touching the sideline, which really shouldn't have happened, but it is what it is. And I think that just let the Highlanders back in the game, and then I guess they sort of uh, got their tails up, and then they just blew the canes away in the in the first 20 of the second half, pretty much by um, changing their tactics and just exploiting the Hurricanes D close in because they were relying so much on their uh, blitz defence to stop the ball going out wide so the Highlanders were very very clever and just started exploiting closer into the ruck and it's uh, so they just basically got on a, a bit of a roll of getting over the gain line and offloading and 
the Hurricanes were pretty much on the back foot and just had all this this huge wave of possession and getting over the gain line and eventually um, the Hurricanes became unstuck with 20 to go. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, despite the, the Hurricanes scoring those two wicked tries, they didn't really make a lot of play. Or I, I, I felt that they found it quite hard to get into any sort of rhythm. I thought that the Highlanders did a really good job at the breakdown, just slowing down their ball. And funny enough, for, for the way that the Highlanders were playing on defence, they only actually conceded four penalties right up until that 60-minute mark. So I think that there was a telling difference in terms of just when they had the Hurricanes under pressure, they weren't letting them off the hook by giving away maybe a silly penalty when the Hurricanes were inside their own red zone and they were really making them work for it. And, yeah, I mean, like we saw with those those two awesome tries, while they were pretty spectacular, they were sort of from nothing. And mm. I think they were really against the run of play. And fortunately for the Highlanders, they, they were able to reply to the 14 points they conceded. And as well as you mentioning the, the Highlanders doing a really good job of exploiting that outside in defence, where while they always look to work off Aaron Smith, instead of sort of playing that, wide and flat sort of style when the Hurricanes were looking to push him off that edge, you'd see Aaron just sort of make that arcing run, look to shape to go wide and he'd almost like cartoid had a guy on a short ball and they got a lot of punch off that and then I think even for Michael Collins try, I think it was John Nadecki like got up off the deck after carrying that first time, yeah like you said they were quite direct and sort of going one off the ruck and I thought that that variation sort of caught the Hurricanes out and I think the fact yeah, that, that yeah. there was a flurry of tries that happened so quickly and it was almost like the Highlanders didn't give them the opportunity to sort of regroup and assess what they were seeing or let the messages get relayed from the sideline that that was almost the game with 20 minutes to go because the Hurricanes hadn't even got themselves into a rhythm to then be able to sort of build and score tries and and, and like you mentioned because it was sort of a nothing game it wasn't like the Hurricanes were ever going to take the three when it was on offer like they typically would like you said if there was something on the line mm. but yeah I mean I, I was definitely heartened at seeing both Aaron Smith and Ash Dixon who brought up 150 and 100 caps respectively go out on a winning note for the Highlanders in 2020 but yeah like and you, and you mentioned the Hurricanes two tries in that first half they got disallowed I don't really know what Vince Arsenal was up to because he yeah. sort of he he had about at, at least two meters to there work. Was, yeah, there was no line. reason for him to be you know be anywhere near the sideline. There was no yeah. reason for him to. I mean, I think he was just being a bit too casual. And then, like you said, with the forward pass, I don't know. Like yes, yes, it was a forward pass, but the fact that the the referee was literally right there and he didn't call it himself. So yeah, I understand when the TMO's got to get involved. But do you do you like? the fact that we can just go in and look back at everything and like you have to assess everything via the video referee rather than the on-field referee was Joel because he, he literally I, was right there and even like yeah. after it, he said that mate it wasn't me it was the TMO so even he said it was fine yeah it but was, I think yeah. if you if you look at especially those first two um, disallowed tries and m- maybe to a certain extent the, the third one in the second half I th- what I think the difference is is that normally with stuff like that a ref will just blow it up straight away so they're very decisive. I think in this case, which I thought he did a really good job, you know, to my mind, is that he let it go and then he just sort of casually said, "Oh, can we look at that again?" 
So I think it's the fact that he was a bit more sort of, some people might say blase, but I thought he sort of had quite a calm, I guess, demeanour about him to say, hey, can we just sort of double check that stuff? Because sometimes when they happen in an instant, you'll just sort of, sometimes refs will make a, a decision just like that, and sometimes the pass might not be forward. So I think what he did is he just basically let the play continue, let the try be scored, and then he come back and say, like, you know, I think that might forward pass can you go back and look at it which I think is actually a better way because sometimes ref, refs will blow up forward passes and you'd be like hey that wasn't forward but there was a split second decision mm-hmm. whereas what he did is he let it go um, and then he decided no I want to have another look at that and I think that's what the difference was and I thought he refed it really well so all three of those tries he gave them and then he said look I just want to have a look and in a funny sort of way, I think that's actually a better way of refereeing because he's like, he's gone with his instinct, but he basically hasn't blown it up straight away. He's allowed the play to continue, and if a try has come from, he's going, "Well, actually, I'm going to go back because first thing they suspected was Arsenal's um, foot being in touch, and they got that right. And then he went back and looked at the forward pass that was forward, and then they looked at the um, the obstruction, and that was right again. Although in saying that. Michael Collins did a great job at actually... Um, yeah, he was never going to get there. Like, it, but, like, yeah, he but, made the read. Yeah, but technically it was still a correct decision. It was technically... Because he went behind the player. Remember, he went behind the player. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. So technically, um, the ref got it right, and um, Michael Collins actually... Read, he, he did a great job, I thought. In fact, he was pretty close to being, I thought, man of the match. He had an awesome game at centre, I thought. Yeah, what did you make of him? I was just about to bring up the the point that I thought it was actually a pretty good team performance from the Highlanders I thought their front row did a, a, did a really good job against you know close to an all black front row minus Ben May and even at set piece the two of the tries one leading to a penalty try and then Ash Dixon's try in the first half you know the, the, they made mincemeat of that, that hurricane set piece and put them under a lot of pressure and, and like I mentioned at the breakdown for whatever the reason the, the Hurricanes just weren't protecting their own ball. They they actually ended up losing their own rucks five times uh, across the 80 minutes. And on top of that, there was again this that this that sort of snappiness that you yeah. sort of expect from the Canes. It wasn't yeah. quite there. And then like I know that you sort of tipped your hat to, to Dylan Hunt and even the, the likes the of poor Fizzell man's again. man Todd. <laughs> Moving on, but yeah, no, yeah. Shannon, no, but Shannon Frizzell again. He stuck his hand up. He has to be the guy who's probably stuck his hand up and shown that he's well, he's shown an ability at the Super Rugby level to be that physical player that the All Blacks probably missed at last year's World Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah and then on top yeah, of all yeah. that, I mean, like you, you mentioned that Michael Collins and yeah, he, he did have a really good game and centre might be his spot actually. I'm I'm, I'm not sure about him. As a fullback, yeah, so I, I don't I, think he quite I, has the toe, but yeah. I think he's got the brains. And if they can yeah, find a bit of punch yeah. at second five, yeah. he could complement the rest of that Highlanders backline really, really well. Because I thought Josh Ewan oh, yeah. looked really good again, and Mitch Hunt's got that X factor. I think what you saw in Michael Collins was a, I, I think, a hint of what you used to see in Conrad Smith was just a really, really clever guy. So he doesn't quite have the toe to really be an outside back and he doesn't have the real punch of a of a ball running midfielder but he's just he's just a very very clever player and so if you watch him this is like 
I, I think, and unfortunately they left it for the last, I think, two or three rounds, he probably should have been at centre all along. That's my take. And I think also as well, if you look at C.O. Tomkinson, who was a little bit one-dimensional, but I think if you look, he's a straight hard runner. He's a very, very good defender, puts in some massive hits. And then you've got a very, very clever ball player in Michael Collins. So they, they complement each other almost to the point, but not quite in the class of like a, a Nonu and a Smith, you know, back in the almost day. Almost a think, man's Nonu and Conrad Smith. Yeah, pretty pretty much. And I, and I think what you've got, I think what you saw, yeah, it was a nothing game. And you could sort of see the way the Hurricanes were playing. It was a bit of a festival game. But I think if you, if you look at the way, and I think probably also everyone was back fully fit for Highlanders finally. And I think they finally got their selections right. So they basically sorted out centre because... If we were being honest, uh, who was the other centre? Thompson. He wasn't playing that well. Yeah. Was he injured? Was he, did he get dropped or was he injured? I don't, I'm not yeah, sure. I, I think it was a combination of both, but even pre-COVID, he wasn't having that great yeah. well, well, none of those Hollanders were, arguably. And then when, when he came yeah. back, yeah, he just was maybe a little bit under par. Yeah, and, yeah, and then he had, he had a Yeah, Ioane came back. And then I think also as well, yeah, I just think it was going, but I think they find they're actually their best informed backline. So, I mean, even though he, he he does some silly things, but actually, I thought Jonah Nareki had his best game, especially when he set up that Collins strike because he basically had two angled runs back uh, coming across the grain um, towards you know the fringes of the ruck, and that got them over the game line twice, and that basically set up Michael Collins try. So, I thought uh, Nareki had an awesome game. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, like, like you mentioned last week, this was probably more so an opportunity for guys to stick their hands up for that North and South game. So besides sort of the names that have been thrown around in the media, you know, you mentioned the Frizzells, the Smiths, your Josh Iwanis, and then even looking across to the Hurricanes, you know, your Geordie Barrett, your Artie Severs, was there anybody else that you thought was like, you know, maybe he is worth a nod. I know a lot of people have pointed at the likes of James Blackwell. I thought that Putty Putty Parkinson did a really good game. And even the Highlanders lock that came off the bench, even though he hasn't got a lot of game time, that Monarchy Selby Rickett actually looked quite good as well. And, I mean, it was just obvious to me because I know that we're sort of lacking in that, that tall timber department for the AVs. But was there anybody else? Like, like Jamie Booth was another one that had a good game. I'm not sure if he's in with a chance. Yeah, but I think what and this is just my take on it I think a lot of the problems that the Hurricanes had in that second half in that first 20 minutes where they were basically uh, showing a lot of holes in their inside defence I think if Peronata had been there those holes would have been plugged I just think having this little guy because if you have Peronata's presence around the ruck in that I think he might have stopped some of that stuff and um, I think that's just because Jamie Booth doesn't have that physical stature, I, I don't think he would have been able to sort of plug those holes um, and also as well if you sort of look like, if, if you look at how well he played in the first half it actually more highlighted pretty much what he's like because he's a, he's a quick bugger and he's good with the ball in hand but I think he went missing a bit on D especially in that first 20 in the second half and that's, that's just, because he just doesn't have the physical stature or the international experience, or that just just those attributes that Peronata has. So he's probably he's he's probably got a better pass than Peronata, but Peronata just has that physical presence, not just on attack, 
but I think plugging those holes and even if it's not just plugging the holes with his own defence but actually organising mm. that defence around the rucks and I, and I think that's where after that first half I think uh, Aaron Smith and yep that's where the holes are because he knew that if Peronata had been there I don't, I'm not sure if those holes would have been there and they exploited them beautifully you know it was, it was like they played that game plan that first 20 minutes in the second half pretty much to perfection I guess that just goes to show that for all the the highlighty stuff that a lot of your your casual fan can get caught up in, you know, a lot of tries, big hits or whatever, it's that sort of stuff where it's more so your rugby IQ that can maybe go amiss or can can go unnoticed for someone like Peronata because I know that me and you have been quite critical of him with his passing, um, which which again is, is the core role of a halfback, but then... I think that outside of that, on top of his ability to, you know, like like I just mentioned, score tries and be a bit abrasive on defence, yeah. he obviously does hold quite a bit of influence within that group. Oh, and, oh very and, much so. Very and, much so. And the, yeah, like, yeah, I know that he's the sort of guy that wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's been a part of that that Hurricanes core for the better part of close to a decade. But yeah, stuff like organisation is something that you yep. that, that you maybe don't notice. Until it's gone. Yep. So. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, 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 I honestly think it, it would have been a different game if he had started or played. You know, and I just think it's just his influence over that team. And this is not a criticism, but to a certain extent, I just thought, you know, like, Garden Bashup just, he had sort of no one, I guess, directing him, which he had all season with Peronata. And I just think he was sort of a, I wouldn't say he was a passenger, but there was no he, there was no control coming from him because yeah. Peronata wasn't there well, I guess it's like, it's, it's like anything right when, when you play with a leader and, and you you are literally interlinked or intertwined for nearly all of the game time that you're on because we know that Jackson Garden Bishop has been being subbed sort of around that 60 65 minute mark with the Hurricanes that when you go from having an all black halfback to a guy that started less than a handful of games and although like you said he, he, he is a guy who's got a nice pass and he gets around the park quite well there's nothing quite like having that that guy to fall back on when when you're unsure yep. of what to do yep and no, no, i agree yeah I agree. And, and and that's all down to experience and yeah pedernada's been playing at the top level for quite some time but yeah i don't know for me in terms of guys looking towards that north and south game i think that the, the team's pretty much been picked and unfortunately we didn't get to see the Blues Crusaders game where I think more so in that game we might have seen a few more guys on the fringes and be looking to maybe compete for those last sort of two or three spots because I mean like do you know how they're picking the teams? Are they going like squads of 25 each right. or? Oh I have no idea. So I mean they they could probably go as high as 30 they could you know because it might just take a couple of injuries and also as well um, depending on where the game's played so what they might need to do is maybe put these guys in you know a little bit of a bubble you know especially like the Auckland guys get special dispensation so they can actually leave the Auckland bubble if the game's going to end up being played in Wellington so I think maybe they just need to sort of carry a reasonably big squad in case guys get injured or whatever so I wouldn't be surprised if they picked as many as 30 in each squad just to sort of cover all the bases, you know. Mm. But who knows? Who knows? It's a bit of a 
I mean, to, to be honest, this whole the whole criteria of you know the north and south, you know where you played your first provincial rugby as opposed to where you grew up, you know. So if you look at guys like Anton Leonard Brown and um, Damien McKenzie, like yeah. they're they're born and bred, you know, South Islanders. But they'll probably both end up playing for the North Island, and then you've got Geordie Barrett, who's a Hurricanes boy, you know, born and bred, but he started off down in in Canterbury. So, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really just—it's a glorified All Black trial, if we're being completely honest. But I think even going forward, should this game continue, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the the rulings around eligibility will change. Because, yeah, like, like you mentioned, uh, it, it does seem a bit odd to have guys who have spent, what, the first 18, 19 years of their life in either the North or South Island, and, and just because they get picked up by um, a team that is in their home province, um, you know, that, that makes them then a South Islander or, or a North Islander. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, but, but again, like, there's, there's always going to be guys that sort of go against the grain or... Um, are an outlier and then it's like how do you sort of how, to, how do you classify them and yeah like, 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 like I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not the one that's having to choose the eligibility rules because yeah it, we'll it, see. It, it's, it's, it's been but such that... a I think just because the, the fact that it's been sort of so rushed in the wake of COVID that, if, that I think if we maybe had a bit more time and maybe even put it to the players or put it to the fans that we could sort of come to come to some consensus Whereas I mean, yeah, it's all sort of just been like worked at on the go, and it's like, hey, well, we've got Super Rugby Aotearoa. It's like, oh, well, before we get any All Black games, or if we get any All Black games, you know, in the meantime, we have a North and South Island game, and then yeah. we have it at Eden Park. It's just like it's been so sort of like bang, bang, bang because we we've been without sport for so long that well, you know, are they going to stick to these rules? Are they not going to stick to these rules going forward? I mean, it seems rules? sort of seems silly because it's like, well, if, I mean, what is origin? So origin could be one of two things, either where you grew up or in the sense with what well, Ian Foster's uh, rationale is, or where you played your first provincial game, you know, you, you know, whatever province you play for. I mean, back in the day when they used to have the North-South game, it was pretty much just what province you were playing for. So if you were playing for a province... So you might have been from the North Island, but if you were playing down in Canterbury, that's who you play for in the North-South game. So the simplicity could have been just, okay, it's just a combination of the Highlanders and the Crusaders against the North Island franchises. That that would have made it a lot simpler. But I guess that's not the way they're marketing it, though, are they? Oh, I know. Yeah. They're, no, they're, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. So what they're doing, they said, oh, we'll make it an origin thing. But then they're basing it on the origin of where you started your provincial rugby, as opposed to really where you grew up. So, you know, I think I I think it would have been simpler. It would have been just combine the Crusaders and the Highlanders against the um, you know the Chiefs, Hurricanes, and Blues. Simple as that. I I, I actually wonder to a certain extent what Ian Foster might have done, as he probably would have looked at who's playing where. And he might have maybe done his sums, you know. He might have said, okay, well, if we just go for straight, you know, what island you're playing in at the moment for your super franchise, what will the teams look like? Or then, or then he looked at, okay, where did, you, where did you grow up? And he probably looked at that. And then maybe he went with the concept of where you played your first provincial game. And he thought, well, that's a, probably a better even spread. I don't yeah. know. That, that's yeah. the only thing. I, I've got a feeling he might have done that. So 
you know, because uh, maybe if he thought, well, if I just went straight off North Island, South Island, so, you know, combine um, Crusaders Highlands, he would have thought, well, it's pretty much just going to be a, a Crusaders team with Aaron Smith. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then maybe that's what they're afraid of. But if it's like, well, if that's where all your best players... I mean, if you look at that um, the South Island team, it's probably going to be majority of Crusaders anyway. But the stupidity of stupidity of it is it's like you look at someone like Brad Weber. He's born and bred in the Bay, and there's other, he's he's up north now. But he actually started his provincial career down in Otago. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of things like that. It's just like, is he a South Island boy? And yeah, even right? with him, like he didn't even actually make his name playing for Otago. I, I remember hearing about his story and the fact that he actually ended up having to leave Otago because there were a couple of younger kids coming through at the time that pushed him out the door. So it's not even like for someone like you use the example of Leonard Brown and McKenzie where you know they were actually in the Waikato team you know as soon as they left school and even now would go back and play for them whereas like Brad Weber I'm pretty sure he sort of shut the door on Otago to be perfectly honest I know he does like the the old shark fin to as a as a tip to the Needham Sharks down there but I think the actual provincial team he didn't have the greatest time so but yeah like like you mentioned though like he's going to be playing in this north south game he's he's representing the south yeah, I know, that's what I mean. Unfortunately, you know, for him, if, if that's the way he sees it, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a wrap for Super Rugby Aotearoa from Code with Kingy. <laughs> um, I guess it's quite fitting to sign it off. Oh, we're not with, picking with, our teams with, with a fellow Kingy. Oh no, no. Not... Well, I, I thought that you know this is going to get sort of dragged out, and oh, I haven't actually um, given it too much mind, but. Yeah, I thought I'd give myself a bit of a rest after sort of slogging away for the past 10 weeks and I'll run the numbers with a bit more spare time. You know, thankfully, I, I have my Wednesday nights back and then we'll, um, we'll recoup from there. And um, yeah, but I guess all in all, um, I guess thank you very much to, to everyone that's been tuning in over the last 10 weeks or, or nine weeks, given that I missed uh, round eight when I was away with work. But uh, to you, Dad, and to all my other guests who are perhaps tuning in, Thank you very much for contributing to my previews and my recaps. I, I couldn't have done it without you. I, I had a tough enough time as it is pre-COVID trying to put these things together, and I've had a more enjoyable time doing it with a guest on. So, yeah, a virtual handshake for you. <laughs> so thank you very much, my son. It was a pleasure. All right. I love you and leave you, Dad. Kakite. Kakite. <laughs>